You're listening to the Lucas Italy podcast with food, culture and history in the land of Magna Grecia and Magna Bene. I'm Luca Marchiori and today I'll be telling the tale of two pastries you have to eat before you die. People often ask me what's the best city in Italy and of course having me born in Venice my answer is always the same Venezia. But I'm now going to tell you a little secret, uh, which I would really appreciate if you didn't tell anybody at all. But my favourite city in Italy is not actually Venice, it's Naples. Now, Naples is a city that has it all. It's got a history older than Rome. It's got one of the best archaeological museums in the whole of Italy, which is filled with all the artefacts which were found at Pompeii and Herculaneum, uh, which are just over the other side of the bay. It's got some of the best architecture in Italy. One of my favourite places in the whole world is the Piazza del Plebiscito, uh, which is right in the middle of Naples and is, is incredibly beautiful architecturally. It's got some of the best art in the world. It's got some fantastic Caravaggios. And of course, it's in one of the most beautiful natural settings that exists in the whole of Italy, the Bay of Naples, uh, dominated on one side by Vesuvius, the famous volcano, and with the beautiful islands of Capri and Ischia on the other side. It really is a magical place. The German poet Goethe, of course, made a local saying from Naples, very, very famous indeed, by quoting it in uh, one of his works. And that phrase, of course, is Vedi Napoli e poi muori, see Naples and die. Now, when I was a kid, my father, being from Venice, uh, which is one of the safest cities in the whole of Italy, was very against big cities and very nervous of them. And um, in his mind, the two most dangerous cities in the whole of Italy were Palermo in Sicily and, of course, Naples. So basically, I grew up thinking that see Naples and die meant that if you went to Naples, you were going to get yourself killed. Now, it's true that Naples has had in the past a bad reputation. And of course, bad reputations linger. But Naples today is nothing like its reputation in the same way that New York. New York in the United States used to have a reputation for being a bit dangerous. But of course, today it's not. It's one of the safest cities uh, in the United States and it's perfectly safe and wonderful to visit. And Naples is the same. Of course, apart from all the wonderful things that I have just noted, Naples also has some of the best food in Italy. And we've already had at least two episodes about fantastic Neapolitan food. One, of course, about the Pastiera Napoletana, and the other, of course, about Naples' most famous, famous dish, the pizza. But today, I want to talk about a pastry, which is actually, as we will see, two pastries, which is one of the most famous things to have come from Naples, and that is, of course, the sfogliatella. Now, I've mentioned sfogliatella quite a few times on the podcast already. Um, I remember talking about it in the Italian-American episode a few weeks ago with Amy Riolo. But first of all, I'm just going to explain to you exactly what a sfogliatella is and why, um, as I said a couple of minutes ago, it's really two different pastries. So the word sfogliatella comes from the Italian word pasta sfoglia, which is the word used for puff pastry. The sfogliatella is a pastry which is filled with a filling made of ricotta cheese. The ricotta cheese is mixed with semolina, 
which has been soaked in milk. And then sugar is added, candied orange, and finally an egg yolk to bind the whole thing together when it's cooked. And then this filling is put into pastry and baked in the oven. And there are two different types of pastry which are used to produce the two different types of sfogliatella. Um, the first one, which is the most famous one, is called sfogliatella riccia. And the second is called sfogliatella frolla. And if you go into a pastry shop or a bar in Naples and ask for a sfogliatella, they say uh, riccia or frolla. And of course, you get people who are divided. You get people who are riccia people. You get people who are frolla people. And then you get people like me who will just say, hmm, one of each. And in fact, it's funny because if you look on my blog or my Facebook or my Instagram, wherever I have a picture of a sfogliatella, there are always two of them, one riccia and one frolla. Now, the most famous outside Italy are the riccia. And these are also the most difficult to make. So what you have to do is you get a, um, a pastry which is made of semolina, um, water and white wine and also a bit of lard. And then basically you have to roll it out until it's incredibly thin in the same way that Greek phyllo pastry is made. And in fact, I'm sure there is a link there because Campania, the area where Naples is, including the city of Naples itself, at one point was under ancient Greek domination. I've already said that Naples has a city which is as old, if not slightly older than the city of Rome. It was founded as a Greek colony in probably the 9th century BC. So once this pastry has been rolled out very, 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 very thinly, and uh, normally it's done by pulling it, two people pull it in different directions to stretch it out, then it's rolled up very, very tightly into a sausage shape. And then the sausage shape is cut into discs, and these discs are pressed to make like a cup shape, the filling's put inside, and then they're closed at the open edge. And when they're baked, all these, um, all these layers become very crunchy and they become like a crunchy version of puff pastry. And this is called riccia. And riccia comes from the Italian word riccio, which means curl, as in curly hair. And you understand this when you try and eat a um, sfogliatella riccia, because sometimes when you bite into it, if you don't bite all the way through the pastry, when you pull your mouth away, the, the pastry unravels into like curls um, between your mouth and the rest of the pastry in your hand. Uh, I have a photograph somewhere of this happening to me and I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So the other kind of sfogliatella is exactly the same filling, but this time it's put into a case of pasta frolla. Now pasta frolla is an Italian kind of sweet pastry. The word frolla means aged. Um, you use it when you, when you leave meat to age. You say the meat is frolla. And the word derives from the fact that to make really good pasta frolla, once you've made the, the, the dough, you have to leave it for a while in order to, uh, to settle down before rolling it out. So where do these pastries come from and uh, what is the history of them? Do they date back to ancient Greece or are they a slightly more modern thing? Well, the sfogliatella is said to have its origins in the 1600s and it's said to have been invented in a nunnery um, in Campania near a fishing village called uh, Conca dei Marini, which is on the Amalfi coast. And the story says that one day a nun called Sister Clotilde 
was in the kitchens and she noticed a bowl of semolina which had been left in milk and was left over from another dish that they had made and was about to be thrown away. And she thought, what a waste. So she mixed it together with a few other ingredients, including candied peel, wrapped it in some pastry and then baked it in the oven. When it was baked, she put a little bit of pastry cream and a couple of amarena cherries on top, and she called it the Santa Rosa, um, St. Rose, after the name of the convent. Now, the pastry became very, very popular with the nuns in the convent, and they started selling it. Now, it was a closed convent, so the nuns weren't allowed outside, people weren't really allowed in. So the story says that they used to sell it using the ruota, um, or the wheel, which was a feature that many closed convents had. And this is a kind of wheel which was built into the wall, and it was divided in two. And what you could do is you could put something in one half, and then the nuns could turn the wheel round, and the thing arrived inside the convent. And there was a little bell outside, so you could put something in your half, ring the bell, the nuns would know that something was there, they'd turn it round and take it. Now, most famously, um, the ruote were used for orphan children. Um, people would basically, if there was an orphaned baby or an unwanted baby, they'd put the baby in the wheel, ring the bell, it would turn round, and then the nuns would take the baby and raise it in the convent. This was quite a common practice, unfortunately, in the whole of Italy um, in the Renaissance and 17th century, particularly in Campania and in Naples. And in fact, the surname Esposito, which means exposed, is the surname that the nuns would give to these orphan children. In Rome, in fact, the surname Proietti is the same thing. However, back to the Sfogliatella. So the Santa Rosa pastry, the nuns would sell it from the convent using this wheel, and it became wildly popular in the area. And people would actually go on pilgrimage down to the convent of Santa Rosa in order to eat Sfogliatella, or the Santa Rosa pastry, as it was then called. So how did the pastry come to the city of Naples? Well, the story goes that in 1818, an innkeeper by the name of Pasquale Pintauro decided to change profession and changed his inn into a pastry shop in the Via Toledo, which is one of the main streets in the centre of Naples. And Pintauro had obviously been to uh, Santa Rosa and he'd tried the famous pastry and decided to sell it from his shop. But he made a little difference. He removed the pastry cream and the cherries from the top and sold it simply with the filling. He also then invented a second version using pasta frolla, and so the two versions of sfogliatella that we know and love today were born. Now, the sfogliatella, as we know from the um, interview with Amy Riolo a couple of weeks ago, also plays a big part in Italian-American cuisine under the name of lobster tail. Now, the story of the Santa Rosa says that the shape of the Santa Rosa, the, the triangle shape, which we're all familiar with, was supposed to represent a monk's hood. But obviously, by the time that these got to the United States, where there aren't many monks, um, people had a look at it and thought, well, that looks like a lobster tail. And so they became known as lobster tails. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that what are the big differences between a sfogliatella and a lobster tail, which of course are also called sfogliatelle in Italian-American dialect, is the filling um, instead of using the ricotta cheese filling, which I talked about with the semolina, often they're filled with pastry cream. And in fact, I was having a look to 
try and find some famous lobster tales on the internet. And of course, I came across um, Carlo's Bakery in Hoboken, um, which was made famous by its current chef, Buddy Velastro, um, when he starred in the reality TV program Cake Boss. And Carlo's Bakery opened in 1910, and Buddy Velastro um, makes some things which are very, very much in the tradition of Italian-American pastry. And he uses what he calls a French cream, which is basically pastry cream mixed together with whipped cream. Now, if you look carefully as well, the shape of lobster tails is often a little bit different from the shape of a Neapolitan sfogliatella, and they tend to be a little bit longer. And it's interesting that now in some parts of Italy, you can find what are called um, Corde di Aragosta, which is Italian for lobster tail. And basically, they are slightly longer sfogliatelle. So it's interesting that the lobster tail has been re-imported back into Italy from the United States and given a new name. Now, if you go to Naples today, as I'm itching to do, I haven't been to Naples for a long time because of the coronavirus and it's probably when I'm able to start traveling again, it's probably one of the first places I'm going to go. So if you're in Naples, where can you find the best sfogliatelle? Well, the answer is pretty much everywhere, because every bar, every pastry shop uh, sells them, and I've never really had something bad in Naples. Everybody's very, very good at making really good food. It's like pizza. Um, I've eaten pizza in the most famous pizza restaurants in Naples, and it's been fantastic. But I've also eaten it in some really not famous pizza restaurants, and it's also been fantastic. And the sfogliatelle um, are the same, basically. Wherever you go in Naples, you're going to get a good one. But there are a few places which are very famous and are worth the visit. Now, the first on my list is obviously the Pintauro Pasticceria in Via Toledo, um, which is where the Sfogliatella is supposed to have been born. And if you're in Naples, it's nice and central. The Via Toledo, as I said, is a very popular um, street. There's a an underground station just by there called Toledo, and, um, and you can go there and you can find the Sfogliatella quite easily. Now, another amazing place is at the far end of the Via Toledo, where it meets the Piazza di Plebiscito. And there, if you turn left, going towards the piazza, um, you come across the Galleria Umberto, uh, a big sort of 19th century shopping gallery, a bit like the one in Milan. And there's a little window there um, called the Sfogliatelle Mary, and they do amazing Sfogliatella there as well. And they're very popular because, um, as I say, the Galleria Umberto is actually a very nice place to be as well. Now, there's another place in the centre of Naples called Cuori di Sfogliatella, which means Sfogliatella Hearts. And um, they're famous because they do very, very good traditional Sfogliatelle, but they also do savoury ones with all sorts of savoury fillings. And if you have a gluten allergy or you are vegan, you can also get gluten-free and vegan Sfogliatelle. Now, no discussion of Neapolitan pastries would be complete without mentioning Scaturchio, which is the pasticceria in right in the middle of the historic center in uh, Piazza San Domenico Maggiore. Now I mentioned these in the episode on Pastiera Napolitana because it's a very famous shop for the Pastiera Napolitana, but also their sfogliatelle are fantastic. But my favorite place to eat sfogliatelle, and actually also the favorite place of many, many Neapolitans, is a place called Atanasio. 
And Atanasio is very close to the train station in Naples. And um, going from the train station to the center, you you pass it very easily. So it's often one of the first places I go when I get to Naples to go and have a sfogliatella or two sfogliatelle because I always, as I said, have a riccia and a frolla because I can't choose between the two. Now, Atanasio is always busy, but it's worth getting in the queue because they serve you very, very quickly, but also uh, their sfogliatelle are amazing. And in fact, it's quite theatrical watching people um, buy their sfogliatelle and uh, seeing the people behind the counter um, call out the orders. Now, I'm going to leave you with um, the slogan which Atanasio has written on a sign outside their shop, which is the following. Napole tre cose tene belle, o mare, o Vesuvio, e esfugliatelle, which means Naples has three beautiful things, the sea, Vesuvius, and the sfogliatelle. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I feel in some ways the podcast has come of age this week because this is episode 21, which of course is the traditional age of majority in many countries. And thank you, of course, for the ratings that you've been giving it in the Apple Store and in other places. I had a little sneaky look in the Apple Store the other day to see what ratings people have been giving me. And the number of ratings is going up and they're all five stars at the moment. So thank you very, very much. I'm really happy and glad that you appreciate the podcast. So I'll be back next week with another slice of Italian food, culture and history. And all that remains is for me to say, have a great week. Ciao.